Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist, author, speaker, musician, former professor, and the host of Love and Life, Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Have you ever wondered if you're addicted to relationships? Do you feel so lost when you don't have someone in your life? Do you think maybe you're trying to fill something inside of you with someone outside of you? If you've ever had that thought, am I addicted to relationships? Am I, as Robert Palmer put it in the 80s, this is for my Gen Xers out there, am I addicted to love? This is an episode just for you. To help us unpack all this and more, life coach Nazra Peterson joins me today. Here's a little bit more about Nazra. Nazra Peterson is a life coach based in Los Angeles and the creator of Heart Mind Fitness Training. Her focus is on mental and emotional fitness and the embodiment, brain, and heart coherence. After years of study in the area of personal development, she began to develop a deeper understanding of the relationship between spirituality, psychology, and neuroscience. She found that marrying the spiritual woo-woo and the science really helps bridge the gap between different blind spots we unconsciously have around communication for better mindset shifting and overall integration. Find out if you're addicted to relationships right after this. I'd love to connect with you via my weekly newsletter. Joining the Love and Life email list ensures you're the first to know everything going on in the Love and Life family. You'll receive insider perk pricing for consultations and events, and it's the best way to keep in touch when I do what the research suggests is very healthy and take breaks from social media. Subscribe on my website, loveandlifemedia.com. And as a bonus, you'll get my free Empowered Dating Playbook. Nazra, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. We've connected on Instagram like so many of the people in my community now. This has been a tool to really cross the miles and we've engaged in each other's work. And you are very concerned with relationship addiction. Tell us a little little bit about how you got into this space and started becoming concerned about what you're seeing with your clients and the way they're behaving in relationships. Yeah. So as you recall, you were a guest on my podcast a while back Mm -hmm. and we talked about single shaming and I got a lot of really great insight and feedback from that. And what I started to realize is that there was a lot of crossover between single shaming and relationship addiction. And basically an addiction is anything where there's all types of addiction, right? There's drug addiction, alcohol, there's device (laughs) addiction. So it's anytime you're reaching outside of yourself to compensate for something that you feel like you're lacking inside, right? Or something that you feel like you want to distract yourself from of what's going on with your internal dialogue. So what I realized, I was just like, okay, this is, this actually is an issue. And there is a lot of crossover here. And it's basically, you know, the belief that you're not able to function like a normal, healthy adult, unless you're in a relationship. 
And I thought about that and I thought, you know what, I think that this is something that actually needs to be addressed because so many times the narrative is that, oh, you're in a relationship, you're healthy, you're okay. But Mm -hmm. there's a whole spectrum of how it is that we are in relationship. It's not about are you in a relationship or, or are you not in a relationship? It really is meant to be about what is the quality of relationship that you're in and where on the spectrum of healthy or unhealthy does it land? And the more I started to hear, you know, feedback of people who were in relationship and they were, in, you know, unhappy, I thought, you know what, this is something I need to lend a lot more attention uh, to. And I've been doing it now for the past couple of years and it's been, I've learned a lot. Yeah, it's basically the notion that as much as you and I and many others at this point are having the conversation that just because someone's in a relationship that does not mean that they're emotionally healthy and perfectly psychologically sound as opposed to the person who's single, guaranteed there's something wrong with that person. I mean, I wrote a whole book about that. But even with that being the case that we know this is not true, there still seems to be this default mode of single, what's wrong with you? And so to your point with your clients, I can see people trying to let me get someone on my arm to have the plus one, someone to take to the party. People will think I'm fine. And also as not even trying to posture or to present themselves in any certain way, but because they've internalized this messaging, now thinking I feel as if there's a void within me that I must fill with a person. Yes. Correct. And that's, that's the biggest thing is that we have all of these societal norms, you know, kind of coming at us subliminally, that we, we notice that something is off, we notice something is amiss, but we don't necessarily realize how we're being impacted by it. And, and that's one of the things that I really like to get curious about. What is your internal dialogue around you needing to have this sense of urgency always that it has to be this constant thing? You know, we don't have that when it comes to certain areas of our lives, right? And I say, it's kind of like the difference between, you know, the wealthy man and the homeless man. A wealthy man will just say, I'm hungry and I'll eat later. The homeless man is the man that doesn't know when his next meal is going to come and there's a sense of lack And that's why there's so much urgency around it is because there's this belief that if there's any gap whatsoever, (laughs) that somehow I'm missing out, you know, the FOMO syndrome. Yeah. And we see this so often. And, you know, it's something that I emphasize in my book and in my work is that we want to desire partnership. And most of us do. Most of us are wired to be looking for a person. Most Mm -hmm. people will eventually find someone to do life with. But we want that to come from a place of desire. I want to share my life with someone, to walk hand in hand, but I don't need someone. And people kind of resist that sometimes. Where do you stand with the need versus want? I think you speak to it beautifully, really. I mean, it's it's desire over desperation, Mm, right? Just that. that comfort level within yourself of that. I do desire that piece of cake. I'm not needy for it and I don't need to go for it and I don't need to eat the whole cake right now. I can have some sense of pause and say, does this fit where where I need to be right now? Do I want to have some vegetables first? Do I want to maybe have something else? Can it wait until later? This idea of we all have a certain degree of anxiety within us 
you know, part of the subconscious program of different shows that we've watched or movies that we've listened to or songs that we've heard, right? I can't mm-hmm. breathe without you. I can't, right. you know, and, and so it, it turns into really just we're almost like in a survival state, you know, instead of just a state of being. Mm-hmm. And hence the addictive piece, because mm-hmm. it becomes instead of something like you said, I desire partnership, which is so healthy and and mm-hmm. highly functional, but to need it to feel complete or to mm-hmm. feel okay, or that addictive piece of almost being a biological urge now that you've rewired your brain chemistry your in such a way, yeah, yeah, that you're not able to function in a healthy manner now without this hit using, again, the vernacular from addictions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, these, like, the, the dopamine hits of just, mm-hmm. you know, the the oxytocin release of, you know, you touch someone, you graze their shoulder, you smell their cologne, you, you know, all these different little triggers. And, and then it makes us think that, okay, well, I have to be pursuing this, you know, right away. I must be pursuing it all the time. And if I don't, then I just, I have this sense of lack instead of just really asking yourself, is that a belief that's been imposed on you or is that your actual belief? And regardless of what your answer is, let's get curious as to why that is so that that way when you are entering into a relationship, you're doing it from a healthy emotional state and a healthy mental state. Because at the end of the day, if you're not in a healthy relationship, what, what is the point? What right. is the point? What is the point if your relationship actually detracts from your health emotionally and physically? Because it will. I mean, if it's bad, it's going to affect all domains of your life. If it's detracting from your optimal way of being and your ability to thrive in life and, and resonate in your authenticity, if it's detracting from all that, what the heck are we actually doing? And I love the way you put it, to get curious. I love that word. Mm-hmm. Question ourselves to challenge our own thought processes, which you know is a big part of what I do and, and what I yeah. hope to invite others to consider as well. Is that a belief that's imposed on me or is it my belief? Now, here's my question. When you have a client who says, well, no, Nazra, that is my belief. My belief is I will not be happy unless I find my person. And then what do you say? <laughs> because then they're going to say, so yeah. it's my belief and it's true. And it that's the way it is. I, I love this saying about, you know, our perception is our reality. But then mm-hmm. there's the added component to that, which is, Yes, your perception is your ultimate reality, but it's not necessarily the ultimate truth. Mm. What if you're wrong? What if you could be happy? And I think I was listening to, it was a podcast with Ed Milet, and he talked about being like a blissfully dissatisfied. I think that was the term that he used. But there's this idea of that we think that just be, if we're miserable enough without the thing that we want, then that will somehow get us the thing that we want. Oh my gosh. And it yes. won't. Like, yes. <laughs> right? In so uh, yes, many ways. Yeah. And it's such a beautiful place to come from. And I say, okay, so why is that? And what, what if you're wrong? What if you could be happy? It really boils down to fear. There's mm-hmm. an underlying fear that somehow if I say that I'm happy without a relationship, then I'll be alone forever. But that's not true. We don't do that when it comes to certain things that we don't feel lacking in. And I go back to the food analogy because a lot of people relate to food. Like food is 
my lover. So it's like my first <laughs> love in life. So I always am going to go back to like a food analogy, but it, it's so true. I mean, just because I say that I'm okay without having the cake right now, doesn't mean that I'm swearing off of sweets or I'm swearing off of chocolate. I'm just in a place right now for at least the next hour or 12 hours or days where I can go without something and not have that thought nagging at me that somehow I've resigned to a life without these sweets. And and once people can kind of frame it in a way of putting it into a proper context, yes, it is okay to desire. It is 100% okay to desire. But once you are going into this unhealthy place of putting all of this responsibility, you know, on another person to be everything, you're really treading very unstable waters to say the very least. Definitely. That's not a very loving way to embark upon a relationship. Like, oh, you're here. Fool, finally I can be happy. That's a big burden to put on the person that you are claiming to want to get to know and fall in love with potentially. Yeah. But okay. So Nazareth, I'll also say that in the seasons where I had begun to internalize that, you know what? My happiness is my choice. My Mm -hmm. happiness is a, a daily decision I make. I know that sounds so simple. And for someone who's upset and distressed by being single right now, they may feel that that sounds like a platitude. It may not Mm -hmm. even sound empathic. And I don't mean it for it not to be. But when I was very happy, then I would hear sometimes, well, you know, guys will see you as being so self-sufficient and just that you don't need them. And guys want to be needed. I got to hear stuff like that. I'm like, oh, no. I can't live with you people. <laughs> if, if you're the miserable single person, then people go, well, you know, you don't, you're looking so miserable over there. But then if you are the self-sufficient and happy single person, sometimes you get this pushback that like, it's clear you've just gotten so used to your single life and you're just so self-sufficient and you just don't need anyone. So guys right. are going to up on that. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> right. I know. And you know what? an emotionally healthy person is going to look at that and go like, look, she's so confident. She's so secure. That's, that's amazing. And from me having been in relationships where the man was, Oh, thank God you're here. Oh my God. (laughs) Oh, life was so miserable for it. And it's just like, on one hand we go, Oh, that's so flattering. Oh, that's so sweet. Right. Right. Oh, it must be love because he was miserable without me. And now, you know, here I am. And it's just, it's not, that doesn't feel good either. I felt like an alcoholic beverage. I felt like the, you know, the cocaine, that thing that they were addicted to. And the, the really messed up thing about that is that, you know, you can be, you know, in a relationship with someone and anyone could have fit in that slot. Yes. It stops being about, I am in love with this person. I am in love with this man, not you filled a role. Let's, let's focus on the most superficial possible things. Okay. Is he this height? Is he, you know, he's this job. Okay. He looks good on paper. Great. He'll do just fine. But then you get there and then it's not even necessarily bringing out the best in you. You don't bring out the best in him. And he's just filling a spot. Having a relationship shouldn't be about filling a slot. That's what 
you know, someone who's an alcoholic or an addict is going to do. There's no weed. Okay, I'll have Coke. Oh, there's no alcohol. Okay, I'll have weed. You want Mm -hmm. to feel like you're choosing someone because it's that particular person that you want to share yourself with, not Mm -hmm. just someone who's filling a certain role in your life. Mm -hmm. I heard this saying years ago, when you're starving, you'll eat anything. Mm -hmm. And with relationships, unfortunately, like it's a lot of the same thing too, Mm -hmm. especially if they've watch the relationship play out and they're realizing, oh, this is not making me happy. I'm not really happier. And then that once they can stop kind of glamorizing it or romanticizing it Mm -hmm. because they're in it, then they go, you know what? Actually, that's not really what I wanted I mean, it look, he looks like, I mean, he's cute, he's tall, he's this, he's that, but you know, he's kind of boring and we don't have the same values. Yeah. You know, we have some of the same hobbies, but we don't really necessarily have any of the same values like that. That matters. There, there should be a difference there. And, and I think that once people can get to a place where they're more secure and confident within themselves and not listening to the friend that's trying to set them up and play Cupid all the time and, and tell them, you need to get back out there. You need to, you know, once you can just say, you know what? And this is the thing I, I have to say too, like with acquaintances that I've had and especially like after I got it for a certain length of time, I actually sent an old acquaintance our episode on single shaming and because I was trying to explain to her and I was like, and I just thought to myself, why am I defending myself? Yeah. Why am yeah. I defending making a healthy decision for myself? And so I sent it to her and it's like, you know what? I think that you really mean well. I really right. do. And I right. think that she did. But I also yeah. saw that it came a little bit from an unhealthy place within her mm-hmm. because she was in a relationship where she did not feel fulfilled. And mm-hmm. it was like this kind of like vicarious thing where, well, if I can just get someone out back out, get back out there, right? Then I can either feel like I, one, I have someone to complain to when things don't go well, or maybe it will give me the courage that I need to leave this relationship because I see there is hope for love. You know, there's so many different (laughs) narratives that other people might be playing out in their own head on their own behalf, but not consciously. And, and I just told her, I was like, look, I think you mean really well, but I've had this conversation with you like multiple times and I don't enjoy having this conversation with you. And I, and then I sent her the episode and she's like, oh, wow. She's like, I watched that episode and it was really good. And you know what? I will take a huge step back and I might have some more questions later. And I'm like, that's fine. She started to question why she's questioning me. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right. She needed to get curious about what this energy was, this urgency to get you connected with someone. And I think sometimes that comes from like your friend has a boyfriend and they want you to have a boyfriend so you can double date. It can be something very benign like that. Just like, let's be at the same stage of life like we were in college. But I think it's interesting too that she perhaps was trying to 
I'm unhappy. So let's have Nazar go out there and, and prove to me that you can find love right. out there in the in the dating scene. And then that'll give me the courage to leave this relationship yeah. that's not working for me because yeah. she will have been the the lab rat to, to right. prove that it worked. I mean, who knows? Like you said, it could be pretty deep-seated that she wasn't even aware of her own motivations. I think it was completely unconscious. And I think with so many people, you know, we're just kind of on this automatic program and we're just word vomiting on people and we're not even aware of the place within us that it's actually coming from. And yeah, I love that word too. Like get it, get curious. Why are you asking? Why do you need me to be in a relationship right this second? <laughs> right. What does it mean? You know, it always goes back to meaning. And you, as yes. you talked about, it goes back to fear so that was something I had to unpack for myself when I was single. What was I going to decide my single status currently means? What does it mean that I'm single? Mm. Does it mean that I am defected, that no one wants me, that I'm unlovable somehow? And, and I had to do that cognitive work to say, well, no, I know I'm lovable because I have friends who love me. My family loves me. My nieces yeah. and nephews love me. And I've had men in the past love me. So it doesn't mean I'm unlovable. doesn't mean I'm somehow broken and defected from all my broken hearts or yeah. no. Does it mean perhaps that I'm just looking for something that's the right fit for me Yeah, and, and that I'm not willing to compromise on these core values? I mean, that takes a little bit of examining, like you said, some of the programming and the beliefs that we've internalized. Mm-hmm. And that's where the power is because we can get in there and we can challenge our own beliefs and then decide which ones we will maintain and which ones we go, uh, no, I- I'm tossing that one. Right. And then once we've done that, we are stronger against the single shaming messages because we've decided for ourselves, like, no, whatever my being single means to you is your business. And right. it's really not my concern, frankly, because I've decided what it means for me. Right. Absolutely. And being very clear on what that relationship is that you have with yourself. You know, I think it really comes down to four different relationships that we have with ourselves that I don't think that we question and I don't think that we're conscious of. And one is our relationship to our bodies. One is our relationship to sex. The other is our relationship to love And then the fourth is our relationship to relationships. And I think that when we can kind of break it down and realize what is the standard that we have, but in terms of your core values, you have to decide what that relationship looks like for you. You know, for some people, their relationship to their bodies is they show as much skin as they choose and that's how they get attention and they gauge the attention that they get from their bodies is something that turns them on and that that's something that they want in a relationship. Okay, like how do you respond to me when you first see me? You know, what is my relationship to sex? Do I want to enter into something casually or would I rather get to know the person first? What's my relationship to relationships? Are relationships just a filler, dropping someone in that slot? And what is our relationship to love? Okay, where you're kind of all like mushy and everything in the beginning, and then two weeks later, you don't really care about them. Like, what are those relationships like for you? 
because what those relationships look like for you might look very different on the person who's giving you advice. Exactly. I think that real concrete model of, okay, here are four key relationships that you have, whether you realize it or not, because we we have a relationship with all these things, whether we've thought them through or thought about our positions and our philosophy about each and our standards and our values, as you said, we're operating with our values and our philosophy and our positions at work. So let's bring them to light so we can then unpack them and decide if they are in fact who we are or if we've just been an autopilot, something that was handed down to us or we picked up from societal messaging, making them concrete. Then we can pull away from that addictive kind of knee-jerk default mode reaction that may not be serving us. And I even look at how people exit a relationship as a sign of, okay, is there something kind of addictive here? I had an old acquaintance, I forget what she called it exactly, but she said like monkey bar, like treating relationships like they're monkey bars, like before you let go of one, like yeah, make sure yeah, you yeah. have something yeah. else. And I call yeah. it pre-exit interviews that people do. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I said to clients is that, how are you doing now? Like in this, in this stage of your relationship, you know, we talked about you kind of wanting to leave and not really sure if you should. And I got a lot of, well, yeah, I mean, I think I, I might leave. I'm not sure. I mean, I'm talking to this other person and I'm like, wait, 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 what? <laughs> what? Oh, You're talking yeah. to another person. Yeah, mm-hmm. this guy at my job. And I don't know. I mean, I'm just, but I'm still trying to see where things go with my boyfriend. And I'm like, okay, this is not healthy. This is not about having a safe person to land on. Yeah. You know, if you can't land with you, mm-hmm. we need to talk about that. Mm-hmm. And it's using someone, isn't it? I don't think anyone intentionally does it. Mm-hmm. They're doing it from that place of, like you said, trying to have a safety net. The fear of being completely fear. alone is paralyzing. I think bringing the humanity to it, because no one wants to be like, oh, yeah, I run around using people. But if we look at times when we didn't mean to, and I, I think about even when I was in the relationship with my ex-fiance for too long, I wouldn't yeah. have said I was an evil, cruel woman who just used men for my own, but staying mm-hmm. with someone who at some level I kept lying to myself and trying to convince myself was right for me when down deep my gut kept telling me this is not your person, yeah. staying with him was not kind and loving. Right. Even though I told myself like, oh, I can't break his heart. I can't break our heart and our vision for our future. And we've got the plans and all. Mm-hmm. And it really helped me when I felt guilty for even becoming a runaway bride and for calling off that wedding. It was someone, actually the guy I dated after him, who said, you know, you need to give yourself a break. The cruel thing to do would have been to go through with it. Yeah. And basically lie in that church <laughs> in front of yeah. God and everybody. That would have been the mean thing, the cruel thing to do. Right. And I was like, oh, Okay. All right. That helped me feel better because it was like, yeah, looking back and it's not so useful to beat ourselves up, but I do wish I could have been mm-hmm. honest and truly loving to this person who I did love. Yeah, right. He wasn't my person, but I loved him. It would have been more loving to let him go sooner. And, yes. and the whole thing dragged on way too long because of my fear and some of the messaging yes. that I had internalized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Staying in long past the expiration date is a really big <laughs> yes. sign and symptom of well, for one, it can be codependency too, or mm-hmm. just, but kind of like justifying why you stay. 
There's this really great comedian on Kyle Cease that I've seen on a bunch of podcasts. He was talking about when you don't leave something, it's only because you can see what you'll lose. You don't see what you'll gain. Mm. And we don't, we don't want to, you know, be with someone that we have to justify why we're there. Oh, you know, and, and he uses the example of his of his daughter. He's like, you know, he has this like beautiful like two year old daughter, and says, "Oh yeah, well she's great. You know, she gets me really good insurance, and you know all these <laughs> different things." But once you've started to justify why you're staying, mm-hmm. I think that we really want to have a deeper awareness behind why we're really staying because not only was it not kind to do to him it also wasn't kind to do it to yourself either Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because I'm sure that there was like this conflict going on within you for sure like I want to go and I want to stay and like that's not loving to you I mean you're knocking your body completely out of homeostasis it doesn't know what's going on you know one minute you're just like oh I'm staying and I'm doing the right thing and then the next minute, it's like, yeah, but I feel like, you know, and, and, and I always like use like the spiritual woo-woo stuff. It's like, yeah, but we've kind of fulfilled our energetic contract with this person and we need to honor that because when you're staying, like you're hurting someone, you, you never want someone to stay with you because, well, I made this promise seven right. months ago to right. stay <laughs> and right. we get into this false sense of loyalty Mm-hmm. And why be loyal when you can be committed? That's one of the things that one of my mentors told me. He's so great. He was saying, you know, we get on, on this little high horse a little bit like, I'm loyal, so I'm staying, right. right? And he says, but if you're committed to a person, what that really means is, is that you're committed to each of you thriving individually. Yes. And if the two of you can thrive together, that's mm-hmm. incredible, But if you're not thriving together and that's actually weakening the collective energy, right? Because you're weakening their energy because energetically, even if they're not naming it, they're sensing something's off. Something in the flow is off. Once we can get to a place of where we're in a committed relationship, we're not there out of a false sense of loyalty of like, I mean, if I leave them, I mean, look at me. Wow. Like that's like all over for them. Like they're just hopeless, (laughs) you know, like that's definitely no longer being confident, right? That's just kind of taking it to another place of ego, you know, and for you as well. Oh, well, if I lose him, then if you would have known that this, you know, your new like relationship and marriage and life was something that was there on the other side of that decision, you probably would have left a lot sooner. For sure. No, I love the way I wrote that down. I love the way that that is framed is when you are staying out of the sense of loyalty or obligation or when you know down deep it's not right and you're making excuses and justifying it, you are focusing on what you're going to lose by leaving instead of focusing on what you're going to gain by leaving. Yeah. I love that. I think that's so key. Some of those paradigm shifts yeah. And they're true. They're a reframe. We call them in psychotherapy. You just mm-hmm. reframe what's happening. And yeah. they are, again, one of these very simple but profound. Have you heard? You can now listen to my book, Single is the New Black. Don't wear white till it's right. As you know, I wrote the book I wish had been available to me when I was single. 
So obviously, it's not about how to snag a man. Rather, it's all about how to stay strong amidst single shaming and remain true to yourself and never settle for anything less than an extraordinary relationship. Find it on Audible or iTunes. And for a free sample, check out Chapter 11 of Single is the New Black in Episode 145 of Love and Life. You know, something that you said a minute ago made me think of something that when I was younger, I remember being in, I don't know, it was probably college that I was thinking about such things and all relationships, of course. And I remember people saying, well, you know, when you're dating someone or you're married, you just can't do whatever you want to do. I remember going, oh, yeah. Um, actually, I'm looking for the marriage where we absolutely do exactly what we want to do. Thank you. Because what we want to do is to maintain the trust and intimacy of the marriage. And that is not in opposition to also thriving as individuals. Yes. And people really resist that. They'll say that even now. Oh, you can't do whatever. I'm like, well, no, actually, if my husband wants to play golf this afternoon, I want him to go play golf. Right. I don't want to be like, well, you've got this honey-do list that I've got all these things you want to do. No. I want you right. to be free. And then when you go do what you want to do individually, right. all that does is make you desire to be with me more because in our partnership, we have the freedom to do our independent things and to right. have our independent lives and our independent relationships. You never feel like you're in shackles or that you're constrained by a relationship. Right. All that does is make the intimacy sweeter. And he's out golfing. He's like, I can't wait to get home to my wife. <laughs> right. That sort of thing. Yeah, there's, there's a certain kind of level of enmeshment we have with with partners of feeling guilty for hanging out with our friends and 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 things that there's no reason for us to feel guilty about. I remember my grandmother had a sign in her home when I was little, if you love someone or something, set them free and if they return yeah. to you, then they're yours and if they never do, they were never yours in the first place. And I I remember as a child like, "Ooh, could you let them free? But as you get older, it's kind of what we've been speaking about for the last few moments is that Mm -hmm. idea that freedom in intimacy, that freedom in partnership. I really believe that if you're with the right person, you you do exactly what you want to do in that relationship. You really do. And I know that sounds probably like a pipe dream for some people. Maybe they haven't seen that modeled. Maybe enmeshment was what they saw in their home growing up, or Mm -hmm. they saw a lot of jealousy and the, well, you can't go out with the boys again. Yeah. Like, oh, that's just, I'm exhausted talking about it. I know. I know. I, you know, you're right. I mean, a healthy relationship will thrive when you are able to both have your autonomy. Yeah. Because it's not that I don't, that we don't make compromises. Of course we do, but it doesn't feel like oh, I have to, because you've prioritized your partnership and your union such that, of course, you want to do things that even are like, I want to go and entertain my husband's customers with him and meet new people. Well, maybe I'm like, oh, well, tonight I want to stay home and watch whatever show I'm binging at the the moment. (laughs) Right. But I want to put my relationship as a priority and to build into my husband's work relationships because that benefits him and it benefits our family and in all the things. So your priorities adjust. So I don't want to mean to say that you don't make compromises. You right. don't make Absolutely. adjustments. You do. 
Yes, absolutely. The compromise. I mean, that's just part of being in any healthy relationship. And I think that something really key and core to overcoming relationship addiction is to establish healthy relationships outside of a romantic relationship and to maintain those healthy connections, both when you're not in relationship with with another person and when you are. Mm -hmm. What are some of the other techniques that you use to help your clients maybe come to the awareness? Because I don't think that people would necessarily know that they have a relationship addiction when they first work Mm -hmm. with you. Or recognize that a lot of their behaviors are grounded in fear and anxiety and, and again, also maybe not understand that their beliefs, that there's a, an element of choice with which beliefs that they internalize and, re, and remain a part of them and which ones they decide to toss. What mm-hmm. are some of the techniques that you offer your clients? So I definitely recommend that people change the dialogue that they have around relationships particularly with people that they spend a lot of time with, because sometimes they'll think, oh, well, my friend thinks this and my other friends think this. So this is normal, right? Because all three of us think the same thing, right? Right. There are many things going on in the world because multiple people think the same things. (laughs) Oh, it must be true, right? Mm -hmm. This many people Mm -hmm. think that this is right. Okay, this is right. I really challenge people. I'm like, okay, where is their relationship? to these things, notice, is there a contrast there? And so sometimes like maybe limiting the conversation that they have around relationships with people who are behaving similarly from an unconscious state Mm -hmm. and then work with me to develop more of a healthy dialogue so that when they do revisit these conversations with other people, they can kind of start to challenge and go, hey, so why do we, why do we feel so empty and like so miserable when we're single, even though we left a really unhealthy relationship? Why aren't we relieved? Like, why aren't we happy? Like, why aren't we celebrating? And start to change the questions that we ask around it. Carve some new neural pathways, challenge like those old thoughts, challenge those old beliefs, beliefs that sometimes we don't even realize that we actually have. And then to also get clear and make a list of all of the things that are important to you in a relationship and ask yourself if you embody those same traits and characteristics. What happens is, is that, you know, when they are dating, they ask different questions. What's really important to you? Yeah. And it's great if you have the same taste in movies or the same taste in music. But at the end of the day, you know, so what do you feel about what's going on in you know the world or what what do you feel about kids and wh- what are some of the things that you learned you know growing up how conscious are they you know what is their level of not just emotional intelligence what is their level of emotional maturity once people start to get more discerning the people that they used to be attracted to now they're not mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they have new standards and they didn't realize that that was something that they might have wanted to change. And then I also always going to recommend meditation and just to get rid of the anxiety because there is so much anxiety that's just trapped and like lodged in the body. Like there's this really great book. I'm still <laughs> I'm still in the process of reading. I'm like chapter two, but The Body Keeps the Score by Dr. Mm-hmm. Bessel van der Kolk because anxiety gets trapped and stored in the body 
in, in a way that we start to unconsciously react to mm-hmm. and doing breath work to really just kind of disperse like some of that, some of that anxious energy so that we're not feeding that anxious energy into different dialogues, different conversations, different interactions, different experiences, and finding something that you love. What are some things that you really love to do, right? What did, what, what did you enjoy as a child? I want to know when I'm talking to someone, I want to know, what do you like to do? Like if I weren't here right now, what would you be doing? For me, it's the farmer's market. I love my farmer's market. I love to go and get my flowers and talk to the people. And, and I don't feel alone or lonely. And I also challenge people to redefine their, their definition of what it is to be alone versus what mm-hmm. it is to be lonely. Mm-hmm. Because I don't know when it was that we decided that not being in a relation in a romantic relationship particularly i'm not sure at what age we decided that that meant that we were alone you know when we were a kid when we were 8 years old or 6 years old and we you know were playing outside on the swings or on the monkey bars you know you don't see this like depressed child like with their head held down low barely swinging and so depressed like oh man, like these swings would be so much more fun if only I were in a romantic relationship. <laughs> oh, you know, we, we don't see that. You don't see like the kid, like, you know, hanging on one monkey bar, like, oh, I just don't have the strength. I can only hold on to one monkey bar with one hand because, you know, I'm not in a romantic relationship. But at a certain age, like we, we decided that that meant that we needed to be desperate and alone and, have this feeling of lack that we needed to fulfill with one person. (laughs) When I come across an empowered woman who's all about empowering others, I want to share her journey with you, which is exactly why I invited Brooke Mullen of Sapan to the program in episode 190. Sapan's luxury leather bags and accessories not only look good, they're helping make the world a more beautiful place by honoring the basic human rights of workers throughout their value chain. They've fully embraced a regenerative business model that prioritizes personal empowerment over charity. And human rights is at the heart of all Sapan does. If you're all about this, buy a beautiful bag and uphold human rights life, head over to Sapan.com and use promo code LOVEANDLIFE for 15% off your purchase. That's Sapan, S-A-P-A-H-N.com and promo code LOVEANDLIFE. So Nazra, as we wrap up, I know you have a virtual summit coming or is it an in-person or what's happening coming down the pike and how can people connect with you? Yeah. So I actually, I have a retreat with Dr. Antonika Chanel Walker. She is a Chinese medicine doctor based in Austin, Texas, and we're going to be going to Acamal, Mexico and doing a digital device detox. Um, yes. So, I mean, granted, it's, it's, it's mainly a suggestion. We're not by any means like locking the phones away into a locker and, you know, making people sweat it out in the middle of the night. But I think you should. I should. But, yeah, I mean, I think if they're going to detox, detox, do it. Detox know? all the way, right? But it's going to be such an incredible experience. I'm going to be life coaching on device addiction. 
and wow. and its relationship to stress and anxiety and how we sort of use our devices as a way of distracting ourselves from what's going on internally and and get more into the present moment and Dr. Antonika is going to be doing lots of acupuncture and yoga. I'm going to be hosting Kundalini. We're going to do some just group health coaching, uh, group cooking classes together, fresh food. And I think one of the major incentives for a lot of people is, okay, this is kind of like a detox cellular reset situation. And so instead of them having to recuperate from being on vacation, they're not going to have to worry about gaining unwanted weight, like with all this unhealthy food. We're going to have very healthy, organic, plant-based menu. And, you know, people can even possibly lose weight. <laughs> but yeah. overall, just get 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 healthier. Just, just clean themselves out. We'll have a Temezcal ceremony, which is basically a Mexican sweat lodge with a Mayan shaman and cacao ceremony. And it's really just about just getting healthy and unplugging. So basically the premise is to unplug from your devices, but plug into your soul. So that's coming up September 14th through the 18th this this year. That sounds amazing. Oh, wow. And then where can people find you on social media or work with you? I'm sure you have a website and all the things. Absolutely. So uh, you can go to my website at www.heartmindfitnesstraining.com. And I'm on social media, mainly on Instagram. I have a few different Instagrams, but the main ones are Heart Mind Fitness Training. And then I also have The Psychedelic Virgin, which is my video diary series for a book that I'm in the process of writing called The The Diary of a Psychedelic Virgin, where I kind of chronicle my, my life of dealing with anxiety and overcoming depression in my life and how I use psychedelics as a healing modality after I had pretty much tried everything else. I definitely have other suggestions on that because I'm really into my kundalini practice now and meditation practice and cold therapy. So I have lots of like really helpful tips on there for people to check out and and listen to. Great. Yeah. Well, thanks again. And I'll see you on Instagram. (laughs) All right. I'll see you on Instagram. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. The love and life hack for this week is kick the habit. Nazra provided so many great tangible techniques for delving into those limiting beliefs that are holding you back and keeping you addicted to relationships that aren't serving you. Thank you, as always, for joining us today. It means so much to me. If you haven't signed up for my newsletter list, head over to loveandlifemedia.com so we can stay connected. Even when I take my social media breaks, this week's newsletter was full of real talk about really hard stuff that I've personally been going through and I think many of us have been experiencing in terms of our friendships and our connections and our values. So if you're interested in that, like I said, be sure to sign up to join the Love and Life family. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. This is Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. And until next time, make it a great week. Love. 
Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson-Abril. <laughs>